What is up, people? And thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I'm your host, EJ Stewart. We got a pretty loaded show for you guys tonight. A lot of stuff happening in the world of sports. Uh, a late story happening today in regards to an update in the Jimmy Butler sweepstakes. It seems like Houston is up in the ante in uh, what they're willing to give up to acquire the Timberwolves star. We'll give you guys the latest on that. We'll also talk about um, the ongoing uh, rivalry feud that's happening between Rajon Rondo and Chris Paul. Both players right now are under suspension after their fist fight last week. We'll tell you the latest on that. Also, more beef happening this time in the NFL between Eric Reed and Malcolm Jenkins, two guys that have been very outspoken in regards to um, the NFL's role in uh, in, in helping the community and, and stopping uh, social ju- social injustice. These guys kind of went at it um, during uh, their game on Sunday. We had some comments from uh, Josh Norman talking about the situation today, so that is a whole big story. And we had some massive trades in the NFL. A uh, big trade involving a, a star wide receiver for the Raiders, Amari Cooper, going to the Cowboys. So we'll talk about that. We got football picks. We got who's flames, who's trash. We got Kendall's court. This is a loaded show. I'm excited to do this one. Of course, joining me is my co-host, Kendall. And uh, Kendall, what are you looking forward to talking about today? Um, I mean, we have a lot of interesting segments uh, later in the show. Um that we're going to get to. Uh, I'm very excited for the Flames trash segment. We have some interesting stories. Uh, we're not going to, we're not going to talk about the world series because by the time we do our next show, the Red Sox would have, will have probably swept the Dodgers. So. Yeah. I think that, I think that that's, that series is over. Yeah. Um, I thought that the Dodgers lost that series really in game one. Um, they had, and they had their chances one. last night too. They had the chances last night and, um, their inability to kind of put together runs last night uh, caught up to him. And Ryu, I thought, pitched well for as long as he was out there. And then Matson came in. He couldn't throw strikes, and it was a mess. And, uh, and they blew a, a game that uh, could have tied it up. Now they go back to L.A. We'll see what happens. It's a cross-country flight. But I would agree that it's not looking good for the, for the Dodgers right now. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, but we have a lot of good – College football, NFL, uh, and obviously NBA stories to get to. A little bit of college basketball, so it should be interesting. Yeah, good mix, good mix of stuff today. So let's get right to it. Let's start off with what I said at the top of the show that uh, Houston um, is renewing their efforts to acquire Timberwolves swimman Jimmy Butler. ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski reports that the Rockets are offering Minnesota four, count them, four first round picks in a deal that. Uh, could acquire Butler. Um, this would be a bold move for Houston, who has stumbled out of the gate. They've lost. They lost three of their first four games to start the season. Kendall, would this be a smart move for the Houston Rockets to give up four first-round picks for Jimmy Butler? Uh, that's tough, man. I mean, four first-round picks. Like, I don't really know what that means. Um, I feel like you, of all people, would know, considering you you have benefited it, from yeah. this type of trade the Celtics yeah, I've lived it before. in the trade that they got with the Nets it's just like but that's the thing because even at that time I was like man the Nets they just stole KG and Paul Pierce for a bunch of scraps no one really had the foresight very few people had the foresight to say wow the Celtics are going to get three lottery picks out of this thing um, so that's that's the interesting kind of risk that Houston would be taking 
and gamble that Minnesota would also be taking if they if this trade were to go down. Um, from Houston's perspective, especially with the way they started the season, I think you have to take this gamble. You have to take this risk. Um, I mean, I was one saying you have to get Jimmy Butler at all costs. Uh, and if this means that you get to keep P.J. Tucker, again, I still feel a little weird about saying, you know, P.J. Tucker is more valuable than an unprotected first-round pick. But regardless, if this means you get to keep P.J. PJ Tucker and all you're trading is, let's say, Eric Gordon, then I think you have to do this trade. Um, the only thing I'd be worried about is now the culture of your roster not really the culture of your locker room, but the, the culture of the your style of play. How much did it get? How much did it get compromised by trading Eric Gordon, who is one of, if not their most prolific three point shooter, uh, and obviously their best scorer coming off the bench. Jimmy Butler is a good shooter, but he's a different type of player than Eric Gordon, and we've already seen, you know, Carmelo Anthony is certainly a different type of player than Trevor Ariza. And Luke Richard and Mute. Sometimes the Star Wars stuff doesn't work if it compromises the uh, if it compromises your team's overall makeup. So yeah. that's that's my question. But if I'm Houston, I would do it. If I'm Minnesota, I still. I mean, you if they give me four first round picks, I I think I would have to do it only because Jimmy Bob is going to leave in a year anyway. So that seems like that seems like a steal, especially if they're all unprotected. Yeah, I think because of the way that it's worked, I don't think they can even protect them. Like, I think for you to, well, I was reading someone, I want to say it was Sean Marks and one of the people that were kind of breaking down how you can do even do this kind of deal. Uh, with this kind of deal, none of these picks can be protected, which you know, again, because you were part of it. You guys could swap, but you can't protect the picks. So, um, so this is just straight four first-round picks. Uh, Woj described the conversation around other players as, quote, um, uh, fluid. Um, but he noted that it was important to note that the two-month anniversary of the trade uh, involving Knight and um, Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris is coming up shortly. So uh, either one of those players could soon be eligible to then be packaged in this deal. Uh, I'm just going to say, up, uh, this is straight up stupid for the Houston Rockets to do this. Um, this would be uh, extremely, extremely dumb. Uh, look, Maury, you gotta respect that Maury is a is a he's a he's a riverboat gambler. This guy is a guy who likes to um, go for the big fish. Though we've seen him kind of, besides Harden for a while, he's come up short. But he he tries his damnedest. Oh no, he got Chris Paul too. So yeah, I can't even say that. So yeah, no. So his reputation of being a big, uh, a, a big time, you know, uh, a gambler when it comes to trades is 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 accurate and earned so this wouldn't be that um off the beaten path for someone like maury but i feel like with those moves he was getting you know he was getting he was giving up you know 50 cents 75 cents on the dollar uh whereas here i don't think that even if you're able to re-sign jimmy butler that giving up four first round picks ever makes sense for anyone Uh, you know i don't like I, I mean, there are very few players where I could see someone giving up four first-round picks and thinking that that makes sense. Um, so that's just the basic level, is that that's a lot of players for a team that's now not that young. That's window is open, still open, but 
it's not imminent. It's not infinite. Like, you know, Chris Paul is, what, 33? going to be 33, they're going to be 34 years old. Um, we know Carmelo Anthony's age, age issues. He won't even be there probably beyond this year. Um, and besides Clint Capel, you know, the rest of the team is not a bunch of spring chickens. So they uh, so this is not a team with a, a, a long future, so be, be mortgaging the future away. For Jimmy Butler, who also isn't that young, he's 29, he's in the middle of his prime, but you're thinking after the season he's going to be more on the back end of that prime. It doesn't make sense. And then when you add in what you talked about, Kendall, which I agree with, is the makeup of the team. It, to me, it doesn't make sense that if you're a team that's held, that's been, uh, that's been strengthened by its pace and three-point shooting and ball movement, that uh, you've already sacrificed that with bringing in Melo, bringing in Michael Carter Williams, like you've already made moves to sacrifice that a little bit, and in 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 hoping to to boost your overall talent level. Now you bring in a guy like Jimmy Butler, and yes, you're still boosting your overall talent level, but now I think what made you special is gone. I mean, you're not a three point shooting team, you're not an up tempo team anymore, and that may be fine. But then, to me, if they make this trade, then the clock is on D'Antoni. I don't know how he's their coach with this roster. It doesn't really make sense for how he wants to play. These guys don't want to play that way. So, and I don't know with the way the game is played that a team with a bunch of one-on-one guys uh, who aren't moving the ball that well, who aren't uh, fishing for the three ball, I don't know if that team is beating the Warriors. Yeah, yeah, this is, uh, but my only problem is just the way this Houston Rockets team is looked. You don't want to panic after a week, obviously. But, I think it looks like that's what they're doing. They have looked very mediocre. Um, you know, they've lost to two, I mean, high-level Western Conference teams in New Orleans and Utah in fairly ugly fashion. Um, Donovan Mitchell doesn't score 38 points last night if Jimmy Butler's on the court. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I'd like to think that Nikola Mirotic doesn't go off for 36 or whatever he had against them if Jimmy Butler's on the court. Uh, at least he won't, along with Julius Randle and Anthony Davis. But um, So you would like to think that Jimmy Butler would help some somewhat on the defensive end, uh, and he's prolific enough offensively that you won't take that much of a hit offensively. What, where I agree with you is that, like you said, you're adding another isolation scorer that does not fit what Mike D'Antoni typically likes to preach offensively. And that would be the red flag. Um, and then two more things. Like you mentioned, DJ, something that I've mentioned for a long time about Jimmy Butler. I'm very worried about him falling off the cliff at some point. Right. Very akin to Joe Noah and Lou Aldang. And if you're Minnesota, I'm sure they're also very much considering that and thinking, if we steal four first-round picks from these guys and Jimmy Butler is an average player in two years, those first-round picks, they can't be back-to-back-to-back, so that might be a, a pick six years from now. We don't know how good Houston's going to be in six years. Houston could be a middle-of-the-road team. They could, it could be a lottery team. They could be a bottom-five team in the league in six years. And now that pick looks really good. So there's that. Plus, Jimmy Butler is a flight risk. He's got a one-year deal. The whole reason why yeah. Minnesota's trying to trade him. Trading four first-round picks for a guy that while you would think because he's from the area, because they're a contending team, uh, you would think he's going to stay. 
but trading for four first round picks for a guy that could up and leave in a year. Um, he's already an eccentric, an eccentric personality. Yeah. Going to a roster full of eccentric personalities, it's no guarantee he's going to resign long term in Houston. So that seems excessive. Um, so there are many reasons why, if you're Houston, you don't do this trade. For me, though, I would say you have to take the risk. Chris Paul is not getting any younger. Uh, James Harden is not getting get, not getting any younger. Melo is already very old. Uh, if you're going to take your shot at the Warriors, it's got to be now. Because you're never the way the cap is structured for this team. They're never going to have another chance to get another so, match player. So would you? So you would do this trade then? I would do it. I'll take the risk. I can't do that. I can't go for first round picks. And like, I mean, I'd probably rather trade PJ Tucker to be honest, but. And I almost feel like, to me, what makes me even more, what makes me even more trepidatious of making this kind of move is the fact that not only did Jimmy Butler have a one-year deal, but Kevin Durant has a one-year deal, and that's the team in your conference that you're very worried about. There are a lot of people around the league, and I know the Rockets, you know, don't have their head in the sand. They've heard the same rumors too, that think that there is a good chance that Durant is not with the Warriors next year. If that's the case, and you traded four first-round picks and you somehow can't re-sign Jimmy Butler, then you would have sold the farm for a one-season shot at beating a Kevin Durant Warriors who may not even exist beyond this year. That, to me, would be extremely short-sighted. You know? Like, am I am I off on that? Like, do you not... Do you, do you see what I'm saying on that? Like, that, to me... I think that's something they really have to consider when thinking about something like this, is that, okay, we know the Warriors are this juggernaut, and yes, in theory, Durant could sign next year for five more years, and then you're really screwed, but it doesn't sound like he's, it, no, no, there's no indication that he wants to do that by anyone. Right. So, but so why, I, I know, look, we saw the Rockets with Chris Paul last year in the playoffs, how tenuous their chances are with someone who's that injury prone and that old, but to just mortgage your entire future for a one-shot chance at the Warriors with in this iteration when they probably won't have DeMarcus Cousins next year. They probably there's a chance they won't have Kevin Durant next year. It just seems like you you you're just it seems it seems like a panic move. And you have James Harden and while um and he's a younger star than some of these other guys around the league. You're never going to be completely out of it. You can always build around a guy like that. This just seems desperation for the sake of desperation. And to blow up your plans after three or four games, uh, I don't know. That just seems that seems ridiculous. But I think that, to me, you mentioned how Jimmy Butler and this. Uh, well, I'll let you say something before we move on. Um, you mentioned how Jimmy Butler, you know, his impact defensively, you would think, would have not allowed Don, you know, Mitchell and Miritich to go off the way they did. I don't know if I can say that. I saw Kawhi Leonard eat his lunch, what, last night? On <laughs> the last week on the show, I talked about how I saw DeMar, uh, DeMar DeRozan eat his lunch last night, uh, last week. So he's also do- kind of rusty. So where is he at in terms of his conditioning? Where is he at in terms of his normal defensive output? And secondly, this to, if you're worried about defense, you should have worried about that when you, you decided to let the other guys walk because you wanted Carmelo Anthony. Like, like it's like you're, it's almost like it's like a whack-a-mole game or like you know like when you know that thing where like the dam is there's a dam and there's 
all these holes in damage. You're trying to plug one hole, and when you plug one hole, another hole opens up. That's what this feels like. You got you let those guys go because you didn't value them. Then you brought in Carmelo Anthony, knowing that okay, now you have a defensive issue. Then you're like, okay, well now we gotta plug this defensive issue because we can't stop anyone. So let's get a star who doesn't fit our needs, but at least he helps us defensively. And we our talent is now improved, but now we have this massive issue of fit, chemistry, and not uh, a, a system that doesn't really match the coach. So now that's another Amazing. hole that they have to plug somehow. When th- none of this would have happened, they would have just re-upped with the guys they had and tried to retool the rest of their roster. Yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, they're in a situation where, for me, I, I think the Warriors being, the Warriors window closing could also act as motivation to do this trade because you mentioned Chris Paul's age and if you stand pat now, this might be your only window these next two, three years to win a championship. If you stand pat who knows if Chris Paul next year with James Harden and Capella is even enough. I feel like, I don't know if they're beating the Warriors with or without Jimmy. I don't know if they're beating them with Jimmy Butler. I don't know if it, I don't even know if it gives them a shot. But I would imagine it makes them a better team. Especially if you're giving a four first-round picks, chances are, I think Daryl Morey's done the, the math in his head, the analytics, that it, it probably makes them a better team statistically. But, the question is just whether whether or not it's worth it long term. The only way it's worth it, given a four first round picks, if you have you make a trip to the NBA Finals, and if Durant leaves and Golden State is broken up in some way, I would have to think that this Houston Rockets team then becomes a major favorite in the Western Conference if they add Jimmy Butler. If they don't add Jimmy Butler putting a lot of pressure on James Harden, who, like I said, he's also getting up there. He's not old yet, but you want to take a little bit of pressure off him. Preparing with another star player might be the way to go. But you, but but in doing that, you also have to ensure you could re-sign Jimmy Butler. The same risk the Warriors have of losing Durant, I had to say the risk is maybe even higher for a one-year rental with Jimmy Butler on a tenuous, weird makeup roster a roster that has weird characters that you know and a team that so far doesn't seem to look like they fit quite well did we just saw how he blew up the timberwolves locker room this is the kind of guy we want to bring in in chicago and in chicago you forgot yeah him and Dwayne wade blew that situation up as well <laughs> so is this the kind of guy they really need in the locker room right now like it, I, it, this seems there are wow. a lot of ways it can go wrong yeah, I mean, I, I mean you know, is, is there things, any way that this is going to go right without Jimmy Butler? That's my question. Without Jimmy Butler? I don't see a pass right now. I'm not throwing I think it's too one. early. I think, I'll be honest, I, I think it's too early. I mean, we all, I mean, look, I was, I for one, you as well, thought that the Rockets would take a step back this year. None of, neither of us had them as the number one team in the West during the regular season. So, we didn't think they'd be as good as last year. Rarely are teams who have these historic seasons, uh, that the same team the next year. Usually there's some kind of slippage, where even if you keep the same guys around. So, I mean, I, I, I they didn't look good, but I can't say after four games, oh, they had no chance of ever beating the Warriors. Last year, I think they would have beat the Warriors had Chris Paul not gotten hurt. So, it's so many. there's so many uh, games left in the season, so much time for them to still try to get their act together, that 
I can't say for sure today. No, they had no chance. Yeah, I mean, it, it just. Yeah, I mean, they just played so poorly so far. Yeah, I mean, they look awful. There's no the way. I mean, no they, way look, they, they look, look worse than New Orleans. They look worse than Utah. They look worse than Denver right now. Um, they don't look like the second, the first or second best team in the Western Conference. Shakeup will likely be needed at some point. Um, and that Jimmy Butler clock is ticking because he's not going to be on Minnesota uh, by the time the trade deadline shows up. Let's move on now. Let's talk about uh, another uh, situation uh, involving the Houston Rockets. It involves a feud between Lakers point guard Ray John Rondo and Rockets star Chris Paul, which remains red hot following last week's on-court fist fight uh, while serving a four-game suspension for uh, spitting on and punching Chris Paul for Rondo's for what it's worth, Rondo says he did not intentionally spit on Chris Paul, but there is video evidence showing that spit from his mouth did fly on Ron- Paul. Whatever that was intentional or not, I guess it's really up to whoever, uh, you, you, where you land on the spectrum there. Uh, but Rondo uh, this week attacked Chris Paul's reputation. He said Paul isn't the good guy that the league, is making him out- league has made him out to be and called him a bad teammate. Rondo cited his issues in L.A., and the infamous tunnel situation last year where he led a bunch of Houston Rockets in a secret tunnel to go after Blake Griffin and uh, and uh, Austin Rivers, allegedly. Shout out to Jim Rohn. Since his remarks, uh, Glenn Davis, who played with both Rondo and Chris Paul, uh, backed up Rondo's claims that Chris Paul was a bad teammate. Ron Hollins, who played with Chris Paul, uh, said that CP3 has some, quote, growing up to do. Uh, Kendall, do these guys have a point about uh, the point god, Chris Paul? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Um, Chris Paul, I, I, I was watching, or I, I, I read a quote from uh, uh, Colin Cowherd from Fox Sports 1. And, you know, I was a Rondo guy. He's a, you know, he's a Celtic legend. Likely, uh, I don't think he'll get his number retired, but uh, won us a championship. So obviously, I'm I'm always gonna be Team Rondo. But uh, he was blasting Rondo, saying, you know, Chris, uh, Chris Paul played uh, for Doc Rivers, made it work. Rondo didn't. Uh, he said Chris Paul uh, made it work in New Orleans. Who said this, Paul by the way? Colin Coward. Coward, right? made it work in Houston. And my thing was that Rondo also played for Doc Rivers and actually won a championship. (laughs) Uh, And he also played in New Orleans. I thought he made it work there also. But um, regardless, I would, it's, are both guys eccentric personalities? Definitely. I would say Rondo's certainly more eccentric. Chris Paul, probably a little less liked. Uh, overall by his teammates. Um, and this is something Kenyon Martin said on Colin Cowherd's show months back, saying that the the vibe that he's gotten, he played with Chris Paul, obviously, and the vibe he's gotten around the league and by, you know, with his teammates and stuff is that Chris Paul just plays a lot of politics. Mm. You know, he the, the reason he had a great relationship, quote-unquote, with Doc Rivers, but he didn't have a great relationship with Blake Griffin or DeAndre Jordan at times. Um, you know, there's a reason why he's president of the Players Association, has a great relationship with 
you know, Michelle Roberts and Adam Silver, but he's he's fighting guys on the court um, and always getting teed up by the refs. And it, it obviously there's there's a there's a game that Chris Paul plays. Um, I don't have a problem with it. You know, I mean, I'm not a player, uh, so I don't I don't see it necessarily from their perspective. And I only spectate and comment on Chris Paul's basketball playing ability. Because I've never met the guy, never had a conversation with him. Um, I know he's a, he's a great point guard. Uh, seems like a great leader on the court, great floor general. So I have nothing bad to say about Chris Paul uh, on the court. And I don't know him enough off the court to disparage him. But I know a lot of the things that I've said are either reported or factual. Um Whereas Rondo, also similar, but Rondo, I don't think he's ever been accused. He's only been accused once of being a, I won't say a bad, like, the only time he's been. They think he quit in Dallas. Yeah, he's he's ever really been accused of being an awful teammate is in Dallas when he quit uh, on Rick Carlisle on that team. But besides that, for the most part, that's, you can never really question his intention, his basketball character. Uh, every team he's played for, there's a reason why he has the playoff Rondo moniker. He's always stepped up when the lights have been bright. And that's something I think every one of his teammates admire about Rondo. But um, they, Chris Paul just has a shady aspect to his uh, his persona. But it really it goes both ways. That was an interesting situation. Um, and I think the suspensions were divvied out fairly. Um. Quickly on the suspensions, I thought that they were extremely light. Uh, I I think that there should have been more. I think there should have been more games. I don't know. I mean, it's rare. It's been a long time since I've seen guys throw punches and land, and multiple punches landed. I mean, that was a fist fight. Um, and the fact that more guys weren't those guys weren't suspended longer. I feel like Carmelo Anthony when he punched Marty Collins got like fifteen or ten games. And that was wait that was no I mean maybe it was a little worse but I don't think it was that much worse than what we saw last week so I thought that they all got uh, slaps on the wrist in regards to those suspensions in regards to uh, this situation um, Chris Paul was the modern day Isaiah Thomas uh, it, it, to me it's, that's the best way I can describe him. I mean it, he, the comparisons have been so profound throughout their careers but. This situation has created that scene that is just kind of just grown on those uh, on those connections between those two players. The reason why I think Chris Paul hasn't been able to shake the bad teammate thing is because Isaiah Thomas won championships and was a killer in the playoffs. I, I think that players don't respect that kind of the way Chris Paul moves because I don't think they respect the fact that he hasn't really won anything. And if he did, we wouldn't have guys feeling comfortable talking crazy about Chris Paul in the media. Because he hasn't, I think people feel like they got free reign on him. You know, because that's really the only thing to me that separates him and Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas, everything you laid out about Chris Paul was exactly the same with Isaiah Thomas. He was feisty on the court. People thought he was dirty. Um, he had a great relationship with the people in the league offices. He worked his way 
uh, in a good position to as soon as he was done to get front office jobs because he was well liked amongst the owners. Um, but he played politics. We know his situation with the Jordan and the freeze out. I mean, everything you mentioned is is Isaiah Thomas with Chris Paul. So my thing is, why didn't Isaiah get labeled with the bad teammate stuff? One, I don't think Isaiah Thomas was Hollywood like Chris Paul was. That's the one thing. I think that I think Isaiah Thomas was like a, a feisty, competitive guy, but I think they looked at him more almost like how uh, Oklahoma City looks at Russell Westbrook in terms of how they love him because, like, man, yes, he's crazy, and yes, he yells at us and he fights, but, like, he is with us in the end no matter what, where I think um, Isaiah did get that benefit out because he won, because he was big time, uh, where Chris Paul hasn't gotten that respect. And you're still kind of maneuvering and be playing politics and things like that. Guys aren't going to have as much respect for you, and they're going to call you a bad teammate and say you have some growing up to do. I mean, I, these were I thought that these comments by Hollins and and Davis were just scathing to me. Uh, for Ryan Hollins to say a 34 year old man, a 33 year old man, something growing up to do. The guy older than him. I mean. That's just he's just saying the guy's a bad teammate. He, I mean, that's what he's saying, and that like there's no you know Grind Hollins has, has is trying to uh, have a very good media career, um, and he's doing well for himself. So he's not going to try to say anything wild. So this was the best he can do. I think that was pretty scathing. Say a 33 year old man has a has some grown up to do. You're saying all we need to know about what you feel about Chris Paul, but I think Chris Paul. In his eyes, I think he's kind of... I don't think he really cares. But Isaiah didn't really care. <laughs> he was the same way. Like, Isaiah Thomas was like, I don't care. I'm just... I'm going to kill whoever is in front of me in the court. And I'm going to win by any means necessary. Um, But that's the double-edged sword. And with that, Isaiah also created his enemies. <laughs> just like Chris Paul has been creating his enemies. So... Uh, I look at these two guys, they're both Hall of Fame great players, and I, I, it's, it's astonishing to me that these two guys are, like, the same. It's like like Isaiah Thomas reincarnated with Chris Paul. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I was surprised that as soon as Rondo kind of lit the match, these guys were just ready. <laughs> it's like they've been waiting to get at Chris Paul. And a lot of the stuff we heard after that fight was players saying, I think, you know, Paul Pierce or one of the players, or maybe it was Jalen Rose, said that to them they were surprised Chris Paul hadn't been in this kind of situation earlier in his career. That it took that, The fact that it took this long for someone to actually punch him in the face was surprising. So these And these guys are, well, more in the know than we are for sure. So, it, you know, it is what it is with, with CP3. I mean, we all, like I said, we both don't know him personally. We both know, consider him the point god. Uh, but this is, I think this this stuff with him being a bad teammate, I think it's going to stick. Because um, I think that there are enough people with bad blood that uh, that were happy to see what happened on Friday night, regardless of whether Rondo spit on him. And that brings me to my last point on this, is that Rondo has the uh, has also has the reputation of being a master manipulator. I can't think of a better manipulation I've ever I've ever seen in a media feud than what Rondo did here. Because Rondo, like we should all be talking about the fact that Rondo spit on some dude in the in the spit on someone in the face and how someone made the case that made the Lakers should cut him. That he just spit on like if you spit a 
spit in the face of another player. I mean, that's a that's a level that's that's a level that's crossed. That's sometimes it's almost like you don't know if you can really go back. And Rondo, I don't think that he was just saying, "Oh, I'm angry at Chris Paul, so I'm gonna take more shots." I think he was able to deflect what became the controversy around whether or not he spit on Chris Paul to make it about how bad a guy Chris Paul was. And instead of somehow this being about Rondo, this now became about Chris Paul again. When from it seems like all of what we know about this incident, I don't want to say Chris Paul was a victim because I don't think he would call himself a victim. But like for lack of a better term, he kind of was a victim in all of this. And yet somehow we're the ones questioning Chris Paul's uh, credentials as a teammate. When Rondo is the guy who spit on him in the face and we got video footage of it. That's Rondo is sneaky, man. That's a master, that's a master manipulative work, and and you know <laughs> we got to call it what it is. To me, Keno, that was that was uh that was crafty. He knew what he was yeah. doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a very interesting way of looking at it. And I mean, Rondo is a he's a, he's a very very interesting mind. Yeah, he's he's, he's, he's very a very smart guy. He's a very smart guy. He is and he is slick. And for him to immediately. This, when they were asking him about, did you spit on Chris Paul? And for him to deflect this on how Chris Paul is a bad person, and that now that's all we care about. That's yeah. That's he. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> he knows exactly. what he's doing. He's very smart, and uh, I cannot wait for when these teams play again. Oh yeah, that'll be on national TV. Yeah. And uh, and whoever thought that Brandon Ingram was the likes to fight guy on the Lakers. Yeah, man, Brandon Ingram wasn't fighting nobody. <laughs> what do you mean? He was throwing punches. He was, well, he was, he was going to try. I, I don't know who. Everyone was kind of looking at him like, come on, kid. I'm, who, I'm just who, saying, who he, he looked like he was ready to fight. And I think that if we were taking bets on who was the likes to fight guy in the Lakers, it would not. I don't think Brandon, well, Brandon Ingram would We were had people, people placing bets on Brandon Ingram. One thing, I, one thing I, I didn't like throughout this whole thing was that when the punishments were levied, people were like, you know, oh, how come Chris Paul gets the, the stiffest punishment? Because he he gets he loses four hundred and whatever four hundred and eighty thousand four hundred and eighty thousand dollars and Brandon Ingram only loses hundred and fifty something thousand. That's nothing I'm doing like, anything. <laughs> I'm like Bruh, okay, math. Chris Paul makes X amount of makes thirty million dollars a year. He he can eat that four he can eat <laughs> right. that four hundred thousand more than Brandon Ingram can eat the hundred thousand that he's losing. Yeah, some five million dollars a year. Maybe. Yeah, somebody didn't pass the basic uh, freshman level college <laughs> college math. <laughs> yeah, like, I think on. that the guy on the rookie deal can is a little more even if it's a little less money he's he's being docked. I think that he's the one that's still gonna hurt the most from any money being taken from him. Not the guy who's on a on a full max contract. Uh, and has massive endorsements. He'll be okay. Yeah, and that's the that's a whole other aspect. Is that he's getting paid way more than Jordan, from Jordan Brandon and your mid from Adidas. Yeah, and those express checks, I don't think are doing it for Brandon Ingram. Yeah, nah. <laughs> um, let's let's we're we're in a this is like I feel like this is like the this is like the the beef episode. This of the new generation sports talk. This is just all about beef. It feels like we're continuing the beef theme with uh, the NFL situation with Eric Reed and Malcolm Jenkins. So. There, this is a lot of backstory to this, so you guys can have to follow me on this. If you guys have not been following, um, tensions from uh, within the NFL's Players Coalition spilled onto the field this past weekend when 
Uh, Panther safety Eric Reed confronted Malcolm Jenkins of the Eagles during a coin toss uh, in last week's game. For background, Reed left that group of player that that player group after it cut a deal uh, with the league owners uh, to spend ninety million dollars on select social causes. Uh, Reed was critical of the group, saying it strayed away from Kaepernick's vision that Kaepernick was essentially kicked out of the group and that he had no input, and that the lead that the players, uh, the player coalition led by Malcolm Jenkins. Um, asked the players to stop the protest once the league agreed to pay the $90 million. So with that background on Sunday, uh, after this scuffle happened during the coin toss where uh, Reed, who was not a captain, came onto the field and tried to get after Jenkins before he was restrained, Reed called Jenkins a sellout and a neo-colonialist. Jenkins hesitated to attack Reed but said yesterday that the group must uh, continue to speak out for Kaepernick, who Jenkins says is blackballed. Um, today, Josh Norman, who's a part of the Players Coalition, um, got involved. He called Reed's comments a slap in the face. He questioned uh, Reed and Kaepernick's actions after taking a knee, saying basically, yes, okay, you started this movement, but what really did you do afterwards that was um, beneficial in terms of helping the situation out in regards to the relationship between the NFL and the players? Uh this is a lot, Kendall, <laughs> to digest. Uh, just any takeaways from this whole situation? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was certainly interesting. A lot of, now, if you if you thought the the Chris Paul story had a lot of politics involved, this is <laughs> this is politics. Yeah, exactly. But, this is literally <laughs> literal politics. politics. But um, no, yeah, I mean, it's it's very interesting. Uh, I mean, we talked about the Malcolm Jenkins thing when it happened. It didn't leave the best taste in our mouths. No, uh, it didn't. It didn't. The optics of it looked very bad. So I can see how Eric Reed, from his position, uh, he was obviously frustrated, and you know he, being a, a hard hitting safety, who probably had a lot of adrenaline in his system pre game and during game during the game. Uh, was going to let out whatever frustration he had on Malcolm Jenkins, who he knows he's not going to see face-to-face probably for another year or two. Uh, he just got back into the league, so uh, there's that also. But, uh, so, I mean, the way it escalated makes a lot of sense. Um, I think Eric Reed, uh, well, one, he clearly he's somebody that uh, he, he knew when he knew he was going to get the smoke when, Zach Zach Ertz tried to lay him out for laying out Carson Wentz, and he oh he was ready like flipped <laughs> flipped Zach Ertz on his back. Yeah, he was ready for all the smoke during that game. He was acting like a wild man. <laughs> you know, he yeah. was ready for all the smoke for that entire sixty minute ball game. I look, I credit um, Eric Reed though when I at least he came in and he had he wasn't scared to call out Malcolm Jenkins. Mm-hmm. Wasn't going to do it only on the field, but then address it in the media. He could have very easily been, I don't want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, no comment. You guys can read between the lines, blah, 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 blah. But he addressed it. He said, I think the guy's a sellout. So I give him credit for that. Um, you can feel how you want about Malcolm Jenkins, but uh, Eric Reed, again, another guy, has a right to his own opinion. And that's the way he feels about uh, Jenkins. Um Jenkins gave again a very political answer 
<laughs> when asked about Kaepernick. Yeah. You know, decided to, I guess, take the high road. But, uh, yeah, no, it's a very, very interesting situation. Yeah, I mean, it's sad. Because, I, I, like, here's the thing. I, I think that the Players' Coalition, as it stands right now, I know it's fractured. A lot of guys left last year. Um, as it stands, I think that these gentlemen f- almost entirely, I don't even want to say for the most part, I think these all they all have good intentions. I really do. I think Malcolm Jenkins has very good intentions. Um, but I think that while it's sad that these issues couldn't be handled away from cameras and microphones... I think Eric Reed is presenting real concerns that Malcolm Jenkins needs to address. And I don't like that he's kind of hiding behind Josh Norman this week. Who, look, I may disagree with Josh Norman, but Josh Norman is, is, to me, he's saying what the Players' Coalition thing is. It's like, you dudes didn't really step up. You guys weren't really ready to negotiate with the NFL players. So we took ownership and we tried to do something to help the community. It's controversial to say that, you know, and he said that, you know, every was basically has been parroting Colin Kaepernick really basically, you know, has been just basically his sock puppet really while Kaepernick is, you know, banned from the league. Like those are bold statements, but I can at least respect Josh Norman for saying what he feels about the situation and why the situation has played out the way it has for Malcolm Jenkins, who has for whatever reason or for why it's happened has become kind of in the NFL, the new face of whatever this, the situation is with players trying to raise awareness of other issues. Um, he's someone who's gotten his name out there. He's gotten himself. He's been very outspoken him along with Anquan Bolden, uh, who are the co-founders of the players coalition. And I think that Eric has reasonable, concerns while while he may be insulting and disrespectful in how he's presenting them uh and i i would wish that maybe he could avoid that because i think he loses i think we lose sight of what he's trying to say and that by um by putting a price tag on a movement and putting yourself so out there and kind of dismissing the guy who started all of this and not really keep taking into consideration what he was trying to accomplish. Those are real questions that need to be answered. And I think Eric kind of divulges that when he starts calling him a neo-colonialist and calling him a, a you know a sellout. Then when those become the sound bites, those become the hot take. Oh, what do you think about him calling him a sellout? It's like, okay, yes, those are that's a very inflammatory statement, but I kind of want to get to like the crux of his issues, and his issues are real. And I think, look, I thought Norman, in terms of, because I can only go by Norman now, because he's the only one really saying anything. I feel like what Norman said was also real. Like I do feel like if the if the if Kaepernick and Reed were so hell bent on not really negotiating with the league in good faith then is it the player's responsibility to just not do anything? It's a real question. Um, We can't have those real discussions unless Malcolm Jenkins actually defends himself or explains himself, and he has not. He, They came up there asking for demands, and they came away with $90 million on some vague promise 
to help the community. And I'm sorry. This is an issue that is so much bigger than just a price tag that there was more that needed to be explained about what they were doing and how that partnership with the NFL is going to continue than for this. Especially when you put your face out there so publicly when we know that you weren't the one who started this. When you never have kneeled, which I do think is important. I know he's raised a fist every now and then, but you never have kneeled. Um, You didn't start this movement. There are questions that Malcolm Jenkins needs to answer. And my thing is, he may come out of it, and I may disagree with some things, but I, I said, like I said, I, I feel like Norman speaking today, it's not helpful because I think it just kind of creates the kind of mudslinging that we have, but it's helpful in that at least I get perspective of where they're coming from. And I didn't think that his points were off or just totally wrong. They were reasonable points. And Malcolm Jenkins remaining quiet makes me more skeptical of I don't want to say his intentions, because I do feel like in the end, I feel like his intentions are to help people, which is what he said today, which was, a, again, a very vague statement. His approach is just very kind of shady. Right. Like, like I don't, like, when you, when you go about it this way, I can't help but be skeptical of the approach. Or be skeptical that maybe you're being defensive about something. I don't feel, I, I feel genuinely that Michael Jenkins wants to help people. But when you go about it this way, and you're not really open to speaking about the concerns that guys who started this movement in terms of player protests have with how you're handling things and you just remain silent or you dismiss them or you try to take the high road at a certain point you do have to make public statements about what's going on or else i'm going to be skeptical of you <laughs> now, it sucks you know it sucks for him because maybe he would have preferred it not to be in the public i would have preferred it not to be in the public um but you can't champion a 90 million dollar deal and say you did this uh, but you didn't do anything to get Kaepernick back in the league, which is one of Reed's biggest issues, is that you, you, you allowed them to cut this check and allowed them to remain blackballed. <laughs> you know, which is why I think Reed takes it so personal, because Reed was out of a job for a long time, partly because these guys took this deal and had no parameters about where guys who protested stood amongst the NFL lexicon. So Kaepernick, who was not on a team at the time, remained unsigned, Reed, who then became a free agent that season, almost didn't get signed this year. He went a whole offseason without being signed. And he's a very good player. He's better than Kaepernick. So yeah. there are questions that need to be answered by Malcolm Jenkins, him avoiding them, and now I think hiding behind Josh Norman is weak. <laughs> Call it like it is. I think it's weak. You know, And, and, and I, I hope that maybe there are conversations being had behind closed doors that we're just not privy to, and if they are, then I will take back saying that what he's doing right now is weak. But in the public, to me, what his statement yesterday and him waiting for Josh Norman and then Josh Norman having to come to his defense today, I think is, is extremely weak because these are conversations that are real. They need to be happening. They involve real people. Um, and if you're going to be about that kind of social change uh, and be so public about it and putting yourself out in front, you got to also respond to the heat. It's just like um, how Kaepernick had to respond to the questionable things he's done. The Fidel Castro t-shirts and things like that. And he was there. He's, he, we may not have agreed with what he said, but at least I knew where he stood. We need, this, we need, we need the same from Malcolm Jenkins. It's at least we can ask if he's going to put himself in that public 
arena in the way he has. Any last thoughts on this before we move on? Yeah, I mean, I guess the question now is just what happens uh, What happens next. Um, I don't know if there will be any fallout from this uh, or if we've seen the last of the story, but... Uh, I have a bold statement. Yeah. This will be Eric Reed's last year in the NFL. Man, that's tough. It's I it's I hate to say that. I don't I don't say that with any joy. But he's too real for this league. <laughs> and where we are right now, like like he is on another level with kind of how he thinks in regards to the social justice issues. And I mean he he still has an ongoing litigation with the league, so I mean Maybe he wins that, and then they kind of can't keep. Well, he lost it. You saying? Yeah, I think he. I read uh, just now that. Yeah, he. Okay, lost. well, he had litigation against the league. Um, and the guy's good, but you know he has not kept his head down since he got in the league, which I'm happy about. You know, his first press conference, he talked about why you know um, systemic racism has uh, has been such a, a plague amongst. Uh, the black community, and he did it so eloquently. You know, I I don't I hope I'm wrong, but I I don't know if a dude like this will last in this climate that the NFL is in right now. I again I hope to God I'm wrong, but even Ron Rivera saying that they need to do a better job of keeping them calm, keeping them under control. Those are not the kind of things you want to hear <laughs> about a, another grown man um, talking about issues that he's passionate about. So I could be wrong, but I just, you know, it's been a short time he's been in the league, and he's already caused massive waves. Uh, His so brother he, got a pick tonight over uh, for Houston on uh, Brock, Brock Osweiler. Okay, well, that's, I didn't realize was still in the league. Yeah, Brock Osweiler actually played kind of well a couple weeks ago. They won. They beat the Bears. He started. Yeah, it shows you. Uh, it shows you've been paying a lot of attention to the Miami Dolphins this year. It's, look, it's it's not. I'm not surprised. There's not much to really uh, follow with them. Um, let's uh let's talk about some more NFL news uh, away from the beefs now. Let's talk about uh some NFL trades. So uh, the trade wire was hot this week. The Giants fire sale has begun. Eli Apple was sent to the New Orleans Saints. Uh, Damon Snacks Harrison is going to Detroit. The biggest move so far was made by the Dallas Cowboys, who traded a 2019 first round pick for Oakland Raiders wide out Omari Cooper. Cooper has not had a very good year. He had two great games and pretty much three or four and four lousy games where he, I think yeah, he literally he had one catch. You told me, yeah, he's on my fantasy. Yeah, he had one. I think he literally had one catch in each of the other games besides the two 100 yard games he had. So much like the Raiders season has been very erratic and up and down. Uh, but we know what kind of talent he's been in this league. Kendall, does this make Dallas a team to beat in the NFC East? And where does this leave the Oakland Raiders? Yeah, I mean, the Dallas Cowboys, uh, it's a move I think it makes sense from their perspective because where, where are they going to get a receiver as good as Amari Cooper at this point? Are they even going to draft a receiver as good as Amari Cooper? Who was the last? Big name, big time wide out that came out in the draft uh, in the last five years. Odell. Was it Amari Cooper? Odell. Odell? Were they in the same draft? 
Maybe. I gotta double check that. Yeah, it might have been in the same draft, but uh yeah, Odell Beckham. And I mean it feels like Odell's been in the league for five years now. Uh so that's that's kind of where I'm going at is that we've had all these drafts of guys drafted in the first round and a lot of them have been mediocre. Um, a lot of them have been uh, injury prone. A lot of a lot of a lot of interesting guys that have been drafted in the first round in the last couple of years. But um, if you're the Dallas Cowboys and you have a chance to b- pick up a guy like uh, Amari Cooper at that spot um, with that first round pick, you're gonna have to pay him obviously. But you know that you know his talent is obviously a first round talent, a top flight wide out type of talent, that's somebody that I'm willing to give up my first round pick for. Um and Dak Prescott this is a team that desperately needs wide receivers. So uh it makes sense from the Dallas Cowboys perspective. But the Oakland Raiders EJ are in a very interesting position. Uh I've been itching to talk about this team for weeks. Uh John Gruden um he's caught a lot of flack from a lot of people uh, saying that, you know, that the team is basically quit on him at this point or some, the team probably feels that he's quit on them. But uh, obviously you trade Khalil Mack, you trade now Amari Cooper, Derek Carr may or may not be on the block. Carl Joseph may or may not be on the block. So it makes you wonder what the future of this Oakland Raiders team looks like while they head into Vegas. But, Honestly, I think John Gruden, at first, I was shaky, but honestly, I think John Gruden's going about this the right way, EJ. Really? Yeah, I think he's doing a, I hesitate to say masterful job, because as many of us know with draft picks, as a Celtics fan, I know with draft picks, you have to make the picks, you gotta make them right, because Philly had a lot of high draft picks during the process, and they only got about half of them right. Yeah. And... If they get all of them right, they're the best team in the East right now. But unfortunately, they got half of them right, so they're kind of stuck in no man's land, hoping Simmons gets a jump shot and beat stays healthy. Mm-hmm. But um, with the with the Raiders, uh, you have now a situation where you're gonna have three first round picks. You're gonna have one from Chicago, which I think will be middle of the road. You have one from. Dallas, which I also think would be middle of the road. I think both teams are probably will be in that six to ten, six to nine win range. Um, and then you have one for yourself that'll be almost undoubtedly a top four pick. And if I were them, if I were Reggie McKenzie, and more importantly John Gruden, who I think is running the, the football operations, I would also trade Derek Carr for a first round pick. Now they're okay. saying that he's not on the market. Yeah, they also said Amari Cooper wasn't on the market yeah, last week. But John Green said <laughs> there will be no more trades. I, I and I believe that doesn't mean they won't trade in the off season. But okay. I do believe that they won't trade Derek Carr this season. Um, but if I were if I were running the Oakland Raiders, I'd blow the whole thing up. Because I mean, I've never been a huge fan of Derek Carr, and the only reason I wouldn't trade Derek Carr is because, and I'll talk more about this draft later in the show, but the only reason I wouldn't trade this this uh, Derek Carr this year is because the QB draft is weak. So what's the 
what's the upside to trading now, trading him now when in 2020 uh, a man by the name of Tua Tungavailo will be available and will, if he stays healthy, will almost undoubtedly be the number one pick in the draft. You're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to either reach for a guy this year or you'll have to be willing to wait for Tua next year. I'd much rather wait. But still, you add all that draft capital of having three first-round picks, seconds, thirds. If you can possibly find a way to get a fourth, I mean, this, you could now set your franchise up going into Las Vegas with studs at multiple sides, multiple areas of the football field, Mm -hmm. young players that John Gruden can shape, rather than guys, and also young players on cheap deals, which I've talked about many a times is the key to winning in the NFL uh, is having, most importantly, a quarterback on a cheap deal, but also just guys in general on cheap deals because it gives you the best chance to uh, fill your whole roster with talent. And that's what the Oakland Raiders are trying to do because they're talent barren right now. Yeah, I think that we all underestimated how little talent they had. And now it's becoming more evident having seen their start. In terms of the Cowboys, uh, I don't know if I would have done this. Because to me, if I'm going to make a trade like this, I need to know that this is going to be a, 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 a grave. This is going to make me, this is going to make a big difference in where I stack in the NFC food chain. And I don't think it changes anything. Um, Cooper is talented. Cooper has ability. Uh, but the way Dak has kind of played quarterback so far, maybe he just needs a great receiver. But he's kind of been a guy who kind of spreads the ball around. He's never been a guy who kind of, you know, targets one guy and that's his guy. You know, you know, Des Bryant's numbers, you know, plummeted with playing with Dak Prescott. So was that just all a decline? Maybe. But was that all? But that part of that on Dak Pres- Prescott, who I don't think really zeroes in on one receiver. I don't know. So I don't know what Amari Cooper, an Amari Cooper does for Zach, Zach Prescott on the on face value. Talent-wise, the guy you would think the guy should still be a great player. So uh, I would hope that that would help them. But also, I think Dallas is still, um, I think they're still well behind the, I think they're still behind the Eagles. I think they're still well behind the uh, the Saints, the Rams. I probably put them behind the Vikings, so I'm giving them a first round pick, and I don't know. If this means I'm I'm guaranteed to make the playoffs. That's a steep price to me. In regards to the Raiders, I actually kind of agree with you. Um, I from I was one of the people who kind of defended them a little bit with the Camille Khalil Mack trade. It's hard to defend them about it now, but I think that if they decided early on that they weren't going to compete this year, that think they may have decided it earlier than we even realized then i think that that was the right move to do still no one's denying the guy is a stud now we all see that but was Cleo Mack going to change life for them this year i don't think so this team is so bad that he couldn't have made this a winner so you get amari cooper you can't protect your quarterback you can't uh so your passing game is completely rudimentary so a talent like Amari Cooper right now is useless. He is young, but soon you're going to have to pay him a lot of money. You just paid Derek Carr a lot of money. Do you want to tie yourself into a, a, 
another big salary for a guy that you can't really get the most out of. I don't know if that makes sense. So, uh, I agree with you. I think this actually was a pretty good move. It's hard to draft a guy in the first round that's as good as Amari Cooper. You're right about that. Recently, first-round receivers have been bust. You're better off really drafting a second- or third-round guy and then seeing him kind of develop as a two and then grow into a one than drafting a guy like a Corey Davis or someone or John Ross and, and seeing how these guys so far have not really had the impact we thought they would. But um, but I, think, I like what you're saying about how the Raiders are stacking assets. I don't know if Gruden's the right guy I want building, but if you're going to give a, co- a coach $100 million and a very, very long-term deal, I mean, you might as well really let that guy start from scratch. And you just got to live with what the results are. You already paid the price, you know. So why am I going to piece together other guys, players, and guys that don't fit his vision? It doesn't make any sense. I'd rather you, you do it this way if we know we're going to be bad anyway. Because you saw they were going to be one of the worst teams in the league with Khalil Mack, with Amari Cooper. So this is fine to me. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's going to be a rough year. Uh, this is, this is the last year they're playing in Oakland, right? Yeah, it's sad. That this is the last year. Yeah, it's, uh, I feel bad for the people in Oakland. Uh, you're losing the Warriors very soon. You're losing the Raiders now. Uh, and I don't think those Vegas years. The NFL, I imagine, will put a lot of pressure on the Raiders to not tank, like they not do their NFL version of the process come going forward. That would be a disaster next season. They're like the worst team in the league with a bunch of rookies and no franchise players, no stars. Um, I don't know if the NFL can do anything about that, but I would imagine Roger Goodell and the rest of the owners will be, uh, will put some pressure on Mark Davis and John Gruden to compete to some extent next season. Uh well, next season, they moved to Las Vegas, but they're not going to be in the big stadium. So maybe they'll be like, okay, well, you're going to be in a terrible. You're, they're playing at wherever UNLV plays. So it's like, okay. Oh, weird. <laughs> so maybe they won't care so much about playing at Sam Boyd Stadium. But I think maybe the year after, they'll be like, okay, you got to have something to show for. Right. This massive stadium that you're building. You know the Chargers can't get out of their L.A. lease till t- t- 2040? Yeah, that that thing is a disaster. That LA thing. I mean, I I need. I wish I would been following more closely to have more about it. But the Chargers went to a place that didn't want them. Um, yeah. Dean Spanos made a, a grave mistake. Uh, I think a spiteful one. And now they're in. A, and it sucks because they're a good team. <laughs> yeah. Like they had a very good year. I think they're going to make the playoffs. And the no. city of L.A. cannot care less. They didn't want two NFL teams. They already had two NFL teams. not that one. They already had two, two NFL teams. Who were the Raiders? That's who were the Raiders that the people would have cared? Okay, I, I can buy that. But they did not want the Chargers, for sure. You're right about that. Yeah, they could care less about the Chargers in L.A. It, that was just, I don't know. I mean, I know what happened, but it's just it's crazy to me that, like, the team could move to L.A., and it fall apart on them. But that's basically what's happened. And it, it, it's happening in what is 
it looks like it's going to be one of the Chargers' best seasons what, in, a, in a couple of what years. What they need is a franchise quarterback. They have Or one. just a franchise, just a franchise, like, or like an Odell Beckham type guy. But they need some guy that, like, is very exciting. There's nothing exciting about Philip Rivers. He's old, interesting personality, but he's a great player. But nobody cares. You know, like, they need, like, to draft, I mean, like, for example, if they drafted Tua next year, I think people would care a lot more about the LA Chargers. Or if they had, um, if they traded for Odell Beckham, I think people would care a lot more for the, about the Chargers. But they need some guy. Melvin Gordon's kind of a boring personality to begin with. And Joey Bosa's a good player, but not dominant enough to have people care. So they're still lacking that star player while the Rams have been collecting star after star after star which then now makes their charges look even worse yeah it's just it's it's just a mess I mean that I, reading how like they they uh they had to change their revenue goals from 400 million to 150 million I mean that's like hemorrhaging money yeah the NFL team in Los Angeles can't make money that's a nightmare, and they're having trouble selling the PSLs for the new LA stadium that's being built in Inglewood. Rams have had no problem. Uh, the r- Chargers have had massive problems, and you're having problems with attendance issues in a stadium that fits twenty three thousand fans. I mean, this is this is a nightmare. <laughs> this is a complete nightmare. But again, they they they. Spanos was upset at the city of San Diego, and he clearly, I don't think really, um, I don't think he really kind of thought through what his, like, out was to get out of the city, and but he landed in a, in a bad spot. Remember, when we were doing this show, I, I, we've been doing this show for a long time, now it feels like, but, you know, I remember when this happened, and I was like, this is awful. Yeah, I mean the Chargers are just like moving out of nowhere. Like the the Rams, like it was a long thing. It was planned out, you know. It was coordinated. The Chargers, like they were like, you know what? Let's just go to LA. Why not? Let's do it next season. I'm like, what? You like you can't relocate. You can't relocate. I know San Diego to LA is like, you know, less than an hour probably. No, it's more than that. It's like two hours. It's two hours, but like, why do you feel like? You know, we're going to relocate, change stadiums, move to a soccer stadium in Carson, California, and now... And then be in the Ram Stadium when we actually get a real stadium. Yeah, exactly. And we'll be the the, the secondary tenant in the actual stadium that we'll be playing in. Like, that's an awful idea. And yeah, it, didn't, it never made any sense. To compound it, like I said, they're locked into 2040. Bold prediction, I don't think that that will be the case. I think they will move. Obviously, I mean, 2040 is a long time. I highly doubt that the, the LA Chargers will be around for 20 more years. I think they'll move within the next 8, 9, 10. I think they'll be back in San Diego. Well, I think the league yeah. will tell them, your fan base is in San Diego. Go back home. I mean, this is stupid. This is, they went to a place where they have no fans that didn't want them. LA does not rock with the Chargers. They never have. Yeah, That's no. why they've been begging for an NFL team. And, like, San Diego, like, 
to people not from SoCal like we are, like we think, oh, San Diego, L.A., oh, it's like right near each other, right? Like San Diego is an entirely different city than L.A. It's kind of yeah. like how people in Ohio kept saying how you can't say LeBron is from Cleveland. Akron is entirely different than Cleveland. Yes, you could say it's two hours away, but it's, it is, they are ty- entirely different. They are not the same. It's the same thing with San Diego and Los Angeles. San Diego is has is its own city with its own like identity. Yeah. The thought that you could go to LA and that oh we like that your fans are gonna be there or that you'd be able to gain fans when they just got a new team no, that has a history that has a history and you're leaving a a real city. It's a smaller market, but it's a real and real NFL city with other sports teams or at least one other sports team. And I mean, it just it was it was. It was it was ridiculous, and their their struggles to kind of find their per- footprint isn't surprising. I hope that they're able to figure it out. But these other NFL owners are uh, very concerned right now with with where uh, where things stand with the uh, with the Chargers in LA. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a really a story that we're gonna be following for a long time. But um, let's talk about uh, these NFL games this week. Speaking of Los Angeles. We got some football games and some uh, one college, ba- college football game. Start with Los Angeles, where the Rams will be hosting the Green Bay Packers. Packers are uh, three, two, and one. Rams still undefeated. Kendall, uh, is this where the Rams uh, trip up and lose their first game? Hmm. Uh, I mean, obviously the Rams have been one of the, if not the best team in the league this year. Uh, I'm gonna say the Rams win this one. You know the Packers are what are they three two and one? Yes, they were very lucky three two and one. Um, they they honestly the Packers could be uh, one and four right now. They probably should be one and four, given that they stole two games and then tied in a game that they should have lost. Uh, they could have won that tie, obviously because it's tied, but they very easily should have lost that game if Daniel Carlson could make a field goal. But yeah. um. The Packers, I don't even think the Packers are a good team, to be honest. You know, Aaron Rodgers is an incredible player. Uh, that Bears game is a game they should have lost, but they won. Um, should have lost the 49ers game that they won last week. Exactly. They definitely should have lost that 49ers <laughs> you know what game saying? last week. Like they... Aaron Rodgers consistently has to carry this team on his back. Uh, but it's, it's a lot harder to do that against a team like the Rams, which is, you know, they're one of the elite teams in the league, and I think we'll see that this week. Yeah, this Packers. I agree. The Packers are a bad team. I, I'm not. You said not good. I'm gonna go as far. As they're they're bad. Um, they are Rodgers, Devontae Adams, and that's it, pretty much. Uh, they haven't quite figured out how to get Jimmy 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 Graham completely involved. He's had a decent year, but not the kind of impact I think they would have hoped. Uh, their defense isn't very good. Um, and you got Rodgers limping around on one leg. This is not the kind of defensive line you want to be going up against. Not 100%. So I, I think that they're going to have some issues with this Rams team that continues to click on all cylinders. Uh, I got the Rams winning this one handily. I don't think this game is close. Let's talk about the uh, other big game this week. It's Sunday Night Football. Saints at Vikings. This is a rematch of last year. We're going back to the scene of the crime. Where uh, Marcus Williams inexplicably couldn't tackle, um, uh, what's the name, uh, Stephon Diggs, Stephon Diggs. In, that, uh, in that uh miracle touchdown, 
uh, at the end of last year, NFC divisional round. Kendall, do the Saints uh, uh, get re- enact revenge on your Vikings this week, or do the Vikings keep the good times rolling with another big win? Uh, this is uh, this is interesting. This, this is one of those game. games where I can see Minnesota. I feel like this game is going to be a route one way or another. Um, I think Minnesota either open, you know, the floodgates open open early for Minnesota and. New Orleans can't really come back from that, or I think New Orleans comes in with an extra oomph from last year's Minneapolis miracle, uh, and that trying to wipe that stain off of that off of last season's loss and trying to really punch his team in the mouth early on, which might happen. I'm gonna say that Minnesota comes out with some energy. They've played great this season over the last couple of weeks. Uh, besides the fluke loss to Buffalo and the even more flute tie to Green Bay. Minnesota's played excellent this season. Um so I'm a I'm gonna say Minnesota wins this one. Uh I think it'll be a two touchdown win. This is a tough game. I think this is gonna be a very close game. I think this is maybe one of the best games of the year, honestly. Uh I don't think anything's gonna top what we saw between the Chiefs and the Patriots, but I think this is gonna be a great one. Uh, it seems like the Vikings are starting to fig- get their legs back under them defensively. That was their big issue in those two losses, and really even in that Packers game, where it looked like they lost themselves defensively completely. And um, this is not something we expect to see from this Vikings team. But the last three weeks, uh, they they closed the door on the, Jet- the Jets in the second half. Uh, they closed the door on the Cardinals early. And uh, and they fought with the Eagles in the game. They had to win. It was a must win. And they won that game. They now won three in a row. The Saints are kind of in a weird spot. They've played great since that uh that that first week kind of also fluke loss against the uh, Fitz Magic. Um, but I'm gonna go with the I'm gonna go with the uh, Vikings as well. I think that the Vikings will uh will be able to get pressure on Drew Brees, and I think Zimmer and his game plan. We'll be able to find a way to kind of mitigate Kamara uh, in ways maybe other teams have been unable to. This should be a really good game, though. I I don't think the Vikings will completely shut them down, so I think it'll be pretty high scoring. But uh, Kirk Cousins is an upgrade still from Keenum. I think we I think he kind of he showed that I think in the Packers game for me, and I think this is the second game we realize yeah this is a different quarterback they have now because uh, he's gonna be have to put up points against the Saints. So I say the Vikings win. Another very close game, something like a 28-27 score. Uh, then we got one big college football game this week. It's a game that used to be known as the world's biggest cocktail party. I think that is ridiculous that we don't still call it that anymore, but whatever. It's now just a Georgia-Florida game, which is a terrible name for a rivalry. But nonetheless, this is what we have. So, Kendall, uh, Georgia-Florida and Jacksonville, these games are pretty unpredictable. You kind of never know what to expect. What are we seeing this year from a top 10 matchup between number 7 and number 9? Man, this is an interesting game. Uh, because last week was our NFL preview, our NBA preview, I didn't get on here and blast uh, Kirby Smart for uh, not benching Jake Fromm and not going to Justin Fields. Uh even my guy Quavo 
from Migos went out there and was 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 shouting out Justin Fields saying he should get the third job. So Migos, uh, I mean, uh, Quavo has been very outspoken. He was talking about how the the you know the Hawks made the right move <laughs> in not in getting uh, Ice Trey Young, as he calls him Ice Trey. <laughs> of course he does. And uh and 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 he said that to Bill Simmons on the Bill Simmons podcast, and now he's uh now he's saying that he's uh. He's all for uh, Mr. Field. I feel like Quavo is kind of elbowing himself, trying to into that Lil Wayne position of like hip hop sports and sports fan. Yeah, you know, it's a field that I feel like Joe Budden tried to enter and didn't really get good footing in. So then he went to what he's been doing now, which he's doing dope stuff. Shout out to Joe Budden. But uh, Wayne has had that spot for a long time. He's been the hip hop sports guy that people have gone to. But I think Quavo. His basketball clips, you know, working out with M- real NBA players and stuff. He's definitely maneuvering himself into that spot of the bat when sports when analyst. Celebrity game rapper. MVP. Yeah, celebrity. Yes, yeah, celebrity game MVP last year. Oh, absolutely. He's definitely putting himself in that position. Shout out to Quavo and the Migos. Yeah, but I'm a. I'm gonna say that Georgia wins this one regardless of who plays quarterback. But Kirby Smart, if you're listening. If you want any chance of winning a national championship this year, you have to go to Justin Fields. Any chance to win a national championship, they have to go to Justin Fields? Any chance. At this point, because you can't lose another game. So, we, we've so seen you're saying they from, can't beat Alabama without Justin Fields? That's what you're saying when you say that. Uh, yeah, basically. I would say, yeah, I would say 100%. Well, I, I won't say 100%. Georgia's a very good team. I would say 75 80%. Sure. That they can't beat Alabama without Justin Fields. I mean, Justin Fields. Not. I don't even know for a fact. I'm, I we've never seen the guy play and start a full game. But I don't even know for a fact Justin Fields is a better quarterback than Jay Strong. But I also don't know if he's worse, or I also don't know he might be better. But I know for a fact that I don't know for a fact. But I'm pretty sure Jay Strong. What we've seen isn't good enough to win Georgia a national championship over Alabama. They tried it last year, couldn't do it. The way two is the way the way two has been offensively this year, he's putting up fifty on every team right now in like a half. They're gonna, you're gonna need a quarterback that's dynamic that can make plays. Justin Fields is the only guy Georgia has to do that. Um, you gotta unleash that kid. See if he if if he doesn't have it again, you're Georgia. You, he can have a bad game and you can bench him and probably still win. But you have to see what you have in Justin Fields now before it's too late. Nick Saban almost made that mistake and literally get, it took him the, the second half of the national championship game to finally decide, you know what, we might not win a national championship unless we play this kid too. <laughs> Don't make the same mistake Nick Saban made last year. Uh, but you're picking Georgia to win this week. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're a better team than Florida. Yeah, I'm going I'm to pick Georgia as well. Um, Florida has been one of the more surprising – been to me the most surprising story so far. They really they more than uh for me it's Texas, but no, because I thought Texas could be pretty good. So I'm not gonna Texas say Texas. number six. I thought they could be pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> whatever yeah, their me, record I mean, is now, I thought their record could be that. I just thought maybe they would have lost Oklahoma and beat Maryland, whoever they lost to in week one. So Texas is doing. I don't want to say what they're supposed to do, like because it, it's great that in year two that they're this good so far. But I mean, Florida. If you watched them play at all last year, I mean, they looked like just a complete and utter mess. 
the fact that that team could somehow have a loss against Kentucky and be ranked number six because of their other wins is astonishing. But they've earned it. Um, we knew the cover wasn't bare defensively, and we've shown that. But I think that is impressive that Kirby's, excuse me, not Kirby Smart, uh, Dan Mullins has come in and has, has shown that this team can make big plays offensively as well, just enough to win week to week. I just think with this Georgia team, who's so sound defensively, they, they, they got their they got ran over by LSU. And playing in Tiger Stadium is just a nightmare for anyone who goes there. I, I really don't put that loss too much against them, to be honest. I think they, Florida's got to have a little bit more than the smoke and mirrors they've been putting together offensively to sustain drives against Georgia. If they don't sustain drives, then they're going to have some problems to rely too much on their defense. So I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna say Georgia wins by like maybe two touchdowns. I think it'll be competitive, but not enough for Florida to truly stick around and, and have a chance to win the game. All right, Kendall, we're at the uh, flames and trash segment of the week. Who was flames? Who was trash? I will go first. To me, Kendall, Jim Beheim was trash this week. You asked why am I picking on the Syracuse uh, Orange basketball head coach? Well, I'm picking on Jim Beheim because. He decided after uh, one of his former recruits signed a deal under the uh, under the the clutch sports umbrella that is run by LeBron James's friend and agent Rich Paul that uh, he wanted to speak about the fact that this kid got this deal and in a def- in kind of a kind of a dismissive uh, comment you know after this kid uh, who actually actually. Nation by name. What was that sorry? Darius Beasley. Yes, Darius Baisley. He signed a. He's a high school st- student prospect who's foregoing college to ju- to just play. Ooh, that's too loud. Um, he's uh he's foregoing college to to prepare for the NBA draft. He signed this deal with New Balance for a one million dollar shoe internship. Kendall, you're going to talk a little bit more about that side of it. But he was a yes. former Syracuse recruit. He signed with Clutch Sports, and Jim Beheim made a comment about it saying, quote, LeBron did a nice job helping his client. It is LeBron's client, right? LeBron, of course, saw this, realizing that, A, this it technically isn't LeBron's client. It's Rich Paul's client, and uh, and tweeted, oh, they big mad with the big uh, laughing emojis. Beheim then tried to kind of dust it off and say, uh, you know, uh, not not me. I'm happy for him. I wish him the best in responding to LeBron James's tweet. Later on, he was asked then about compensation in general when he said, quote, I don't think that we should ever compensate college players. They keep their meal money. They can keep their meal money. Everybody says the coach makes this and the players make zero. The player is 17 years old. I've been working my entire life. There's a lot of 17 year old kids that don't make money. Kendall, that is the most primitive and Neanderthal argument for player non-player compensation I think I've ever heard. And the idea that it comes from a guy who actually coaches college basketball disgusts me. <laughs> so basically, yeah. Jim Beheim is saying, I am old, they are young, they don't deserve money. That's got to be one of the stupidest things I've ever heard. So you already embarrassed yourself by LeBron James calling you out for some nonsense. Then you come back 
talking about this same subject, and you made the case that players should never be compensated because they're old. You're old and they're young. First of all, you say seventeen year olds. Ken, the last time I checked, aren't you supposed to be eighteen when you get into college? Yeah, no, you do seventeen. Not one player that's ever played for Jim Beheim is seventeen years old. There's maybe five or ten players playing all of Division One that are seventeen years old, which is really just an age. They could be born in December. It's just an age thing. It has nothing to do with um, 17-year-old, like the those majority. Those guys aren't even players. allowed to go to the NBA. Yeah, those guys aren't even allowed to go to the NBA. So what he said is not only stupid, but just factually wrong in every sense of the word. No 17-year-olds are playing God's basketball, so what is he talking about? Uh, and then we can get into the long discussion of him feeling like players who work their asses off to make him – a rich man who the sport of college basketball couldn't exist without the talents of these kids. So therefore these kids who are working for Jim Beheim, Jim Beheim wouldn't have the salary that he's enjoying without this hard blood, sweat and tears of these kids. Jim Beheim, you're a hall of famer. You're actually one of my favorite college basketball coaches. Um, but you were trash this week. Yeah, I mean, I might as well jump in, give my side. Yep. Um, uh, Flames, uh, for me, in that same ballpark, uh, is Rich Paul, who, um, you know, Jim Beheim may not want to give credit to for whatever reason, but Rich Paul did broker that $1 million deal for Darius Baisley, who, uh, you know, you can say what you want about his decision to not go to Syracuse, this, not play for Syracuse this season, not uh, play really this season, which was his initial intent, but now just collecting the $1 million check from New Balance uh, with incentives and bonuses that could reach up to $14 million. Um, this is excellent. If you're Rich Paul, if you're Darius Baisley, that's money you can't pass up, man. You know, like, Darius Baisley... Not a consensus one-and-done guy. Mm-hmm. Likely would have been one-and-done, but we I've seen plenty of Darius Baisley's struggle their freshman year and have to sit out. Uh, even look at Jonte Porter, who tore his ACL, unfortunately. Yeah, that's a tough thing. Um, Shout out to Jonte that, Porter. Hopefully he gets uh, gets gets well soon. Yeah, and you know what's bugged about the Porter family? Obviously, we know about Michael Porter's injury history. Mm-hmm. But both of his sisters, who yep. also played at Missouri, both have torn their ACLs. Yep, medical One retirements them, for both of them, I believe, right? Yeah, both both their careers were ended by ACL injuries. Mm-hmm. One of them tore the ACL five times. Yeah. Oh, so, geez. you know, you almost wonder if that played a role in Michael Porter Jr.'s medical uh, during the draft process. But regardless, uh, you look at that situation and you say, look, this guy, Darius Bailey, just secured a $1 million bag without stepping foot on a college or NBA floor. Yeah. And he's not even a top 10 recruit. He was barely even down on American. So credit to Rich Paul for brokering that deal. I don't know if he gets a million dollars from Nike. Uh, I imagine New Balance, they're trying to re-enter, re-enter the NBA uh, sneaker game. So it makes sense for them to you know, open up the, the checkbook a little bit, but the money's going to somebody. Happens to be Darius Baisley. Shouts out to Rich, Rich Paul. 
Yeah, shout out to Rich Paul. I thought that um, LeBron had very little to do with this. I, at this point, people look. I understand, and I for one have always been the guy that's made the connection of oh, Rich Paul, Clutch Sports, LeBron. Yeah, absolutely. But that was like when Rich Paul had like five clients, and like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they were all nobodies besides LeBron. It was like LeBron, Eric Bledsoe, Trishan Thompson, like the OG Clutch Sports guys. But now. I mean, he's repping Anthony Davis. Yeah, that's John a big Wall. sports agency now. They're yeah, they're as big as anybody at this yeah. point. He's as big as any agent in the in the game. He reps LeBron's interests just as much as you know any you know major agent. Leon Rose reps Joel Embiid's interests, you know, or Chris Paul's interests. Like these guys, like yes, LeBron has a major stake in the company. He had a major stake in the company. And now, or major share in the company, now he doesn't. But Rich Paul's point is his own, he knows the business. Yeah, exactly. He's doing, he's the one cutting these deals. LeBron doesn't have time to worry about Darius Baisley's, uh, he's, I'm sure he's talked to Baisley before. That's probably the extent. I don't think that, I don't think that he's, you know, in the meetings, doing these deals. I don't think he's looking at figures at all. And I love how, like, you know, Bayhound is like, oh, I'm not salty. I'm not salty, even though you just made this very salty-ass comment. Like, come on, fam. Like, just hold your L. Just hold your L and move on. Like, what? Him the comment on LeBron is like, oh, no, just kidding, bro. Like, that was so that was so trash. Um, yeah, shout-out to Rich Paul. Because, like, you know, it kind of goes back to the, the Phil Jackson thing, which, you know, I still feel like LeBron flew off the handle on that. But, like, LeBron's homies have, like, grown beyond anything – resembling a posse that you know i could see why lebron would be upset about that when you see what those guys have accomplished maverick carter with the tv uh and movie film production uh now rich paul with clutch sports and what he got for this kid he got this kid a million dollars he said without playing a basketball game and and you know he spoke about that like this kid's getting a real opportunity at a real um shoe company to learn about stuff that he's interested in he's interested in shoes and fashion and now he's working at a major company. If his NBA career falls apart, one, he'll have a million dollars to sit on, and maybe he'll have an in with a major shoe company. So, I mean, this is this was great. And for Jim Beheim to try to put water on it for a recruit that decommitted from him, like, months ago, that was just ridiculous. But anyway, uh, to get to my positive part of it, uh, my flame for the week is Stephen Curry. Stephen Curry last night, 51 points in three quarters. Uh, when you watch this dude, when he gets hot like that, man, like I said on Twitter, it's like watching a dude playing 2K on rookie mode. Uh, he's going against a guy in John Wall who actually was doing an excellent job on point guards this year. I think there was a stat uh, that, you know, in the matchup against McCollum and uh, Lillard, the guy shot, I think, 33% against John Wall and only scored nine points. He's a great defensive player, and he had no chance against Stephen Curry. This guy is so light years ahead of all all the other guards. Uh, he just had to be flames because that shooting performance last night was just ridiculous. And had they left him in the game, he might have had eighty. That's how hot he was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the way the Golden State Warriors uh, operate. It kind of it's kind of unfortunate for history that you know Steph Curry hasn't had like one of those. 60, 70 point games, but yeah, they've held they, back Clay Thompson. They've held up. back. They've held back. Yeah, I mean, there's these guys. These guys all could have had seventy points by now. 
Yeah, I mean, Devin Booker did it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, these guys clearly could have done it at some point. Um, Who, who's uh, who's trash for you, Kendall? Who's trash for me, EJ? ESPN College Game Day, and I, I don't, I hate putting other yeah, media members on blast. Yeah, you know? and I like Corso. Why are we, why are we getting that Corso? Yeah, I like Corso. I like Herb Street. Actually, Corso, from what I understand, isn't a part of this. Uh, I'm particularly pointing out Kirk Herb Street and Desmond Howard. Um, both guys, I respect their football, college football acumen, respect their opinions. Uh, and in this, this case, EJ was on the topic of UCF. Uh, UCF, EJ is ranked 10th in the country this week. Um, they're still undefeated. Haven't lost a game this year. Didn't lose a game last year. Uh, and essentially, they were talking about the idea that UCF will not make the playoff this again this season, regardless of what happens and why that's the case. And essentially saying they're overrated. Uh, Kirk Herbstreet uh, went as far as to say that um, UCF, not only are they uh, not as good as uh, all the top power conference teams in the country, but they're, but that they're also not as good as Fresno State, also not as good as Appalachian, Appalachian State, and also not as good as Utah State. Uh, do you want uh, to give us an update on the Appalachian State score? Because I can. Appalachian State today is playing Georgia Southern. Um, their yes. Appalachian State is twenty five ranked in the country. Yeah, they lost that game thirty four to seven. Oh, but but they're better than than UCF, EJ. <laughs> I'm just yeah, telling right. what I see. I'm just telling you. I'm telling Look, you. Facts. Appalachian State was a good story. You know, they almost they should have been undefeated had they not choked against Penn State. So I understand the logic of what he was saying, but again, that was. Obviously, a stretch to it was an unnecessary shot at UCF. What what has Appalachian State done to to prove besides one game against Penn State where Penn State clearly was sweet? What have they done to prove that they're a better team than UCF? But regardless, uh, and then Desmond Howard goes on to say that you know UCF EJ should go and start scheduling uh, more mid level uh, Power Five schools if they want a chance. To uh, to make it uh to the to the playoff. Well, I don't know who what you consider a mid level power five school, EJ. But and this shouts out to uh the, the Orlando Sentinel, uh obviously a UCF pro outlet. But shouts out to the Orlando Sentinels for breaking this down. But this year, EJ, UCF scheduled North Carolina. I mean, they're not great, but. I would say I would say they're a mid level power fire program. Definitely. As well as Pitt. Yep. Both teams they routed. Yep. Destroyed Pitt. They beat us they like they beat us by like thirty points. <laughs> yep. Last year they played Georgia Tech and Maryland. Also probably mid level programs. Year before that, Michigan, Maryland. Year before that, Stanford, South Carolina. Year before that, Penn State, Missouri. I would say that's all at least mid level to high level major power five schools. So that's that's just not a factual statement to say that they got to start scheduling. I mean, who do you want them to play? They're in their own conference. I mean, do they have to start scheduling just teams on the road? You know, like how are they going to make money? You got to you got to also these teams are paying you to to yeah to you know these buy games are happening. I don't know. Regardless, um, the other fact that I thought was egreg- egregious was. They brought up the point, I think Herb Street had brought up the point that 
you know, UCF almost lost to Memphis this year. You know, they lost, they beat Memphis by like one point, a tight game. And that Memphis lost to like Missouri by like, you know, 30 points or whatever. And Missouri, I don't know, from what I understand, Missouri is not a good team. My thing, EJ, is that Notre Dame almost lost to Pitt. Notre Dame probably yeah. should have lost to Pitt. Yeah. This is the same Pitt team that I just mentioned. UCF beat by 30-something points. Why does Notre Dame all of a sudden get a free pass? Because they they should have lost to that Pitt team. Or uh, you just mentioned EJ Texas. Or we talked about Texas earlier. Yeah. Is Texas, they're already a team with one loss. And they lost that one Maryland. loss is to a, a trash Maryland team. Yeah. That's... Let me let me look at the teams that Maryland, they, Maryland EJ they they lost to Temple. I know a lot about the Temple football program. They lost to them by twenty one points. Yeah, they lost to Michigan and they lost to Iowa. Now, we also can't forget that Oklahoma, another team, one loss to Texas, fine, but they also just barely beat Army in overtime. Should that disqualify Oklahoma because they bear? If you win, my point being, if you win the game, I'm not gonna take points off because oh you didn't blow them out. This team, this UCF team, hasn't lost a game in uh, over a calendar year, and we're trying to discredit them because they they were winning tight games. At this point, every game that this team, this program plays in the American Conference is a Super Bowl for the other program. Yeah, and you know I I don't know if Temple's played UCF yet. We may have, but you when play we did. Week. We play him this week. It's gonna be like it's oh, gonna next, be the next Super week. Bowl. I'm sorry. Next uh, next week. Yeah, it's gonna be the Super Bowl on campus that day. People are gonna go crazy if they win. If they lose, it's gonna be very very upsetting mood in Philadelphia. So for East Fan College Game Day to dismiss the UCF program, I understand. You know they joke about the national championship stuff. That's obviously uh, egregious, but. And I don't, I don't even know if I 100% think that they should make the playoff. But to borderline disqualify them, that almost feels like an, it's an agenda to weed out the the, the non-Power 5 team early. Which is it also what the AD is saying. The AD went after uh, her street, uh, saying that you know it was disrespectful uh, for her street to go on his rant that he did about UCF. I don't know. I, I always I always feel wary of like people who like decide randomly just go on attacks on like smaller programs. As someone who is a Gonzaga Bulldogs basketball fan, it's like what you felt like, it. Like to me, it's like what like they didn't do anything to you. Why are you like? Why are you trashing them? Why are you being so disrespectful? Like I don't know. I feel like there's always. I always feel like for me that there's some kind of agenda behind it. And Kirk Hershey works for ESPN, and ESPN is behind uh, massive uh, deals with these major conferences. So when I see a guy on ESPN who is in who a network in bed with the Big Twelve, the SEC, the ACC, and all these major conferences, try to dismiss uh, a team from a smaller conference who could impact the money that those conferences make come playoff time, I'm going to have questions. So when you do a random hit job and talk about Appalachian State in regards to UCF, questions have got to be asked. Kurt Hershey looked foolish this weekend, and he looks more foolish today 
after Apple just got beat by almost 35 points, 28 points, by Georgia Southern, who I'm sure next, who someone tweeted today, I'm sure Kirk Hershey on Saturday will say this team is also better than UCF and deserves more consideration <laughs> instead of them. Because I think they're now like 7-1 and one or whatever. I mean, like, and what I don't like also is that, like, I feel like, what 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 it's the same thing I say about college basketball when it comes to like the tournament and the bubble teams is that I'm tired of like teams who consistently get chances to yes. show that they're a very good team and can't do it, and we 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 consistently make excuses for them and consistently try to say well no they're playing a bigger conference at the end of the day like they deserve it when teams in the few chances they have don't slip up. And yet we always try to find ways to diminish what they've accomplished. I've already seen what some of these other teams can do against the top-ranked teams. They can't handle it. <laughs> they lose. Like, Texas, I saw lose two years in a row to Maryland. And it's not a referendum on Texas. Texas has had a great season. But, like, the fact that we're picking on, oh, you almost lost these games. Like, well, these good teams are losing to bad teams or barely getting by bad teams every single week. Just because every once in a while they beat a very good team, now the only a team, team that, that UCF is... won't even get shot at because no one wants to schedule them. No one wants to play UCF. No one's going to pay yeah, UCF no. to come to their house. Yeah, They're no one's playing a very good football team. UCF. That's, that's just poor That's poor management of your college football program. It's yeah, that's stupid for you to school, do that. You're like, let's do a home-and-home home with them. Yeah, that makes <laughs> no sense. I know because I'm a Pitt fan, and... I, I was like, why are we playing UCF on the road? <laughs> what are we doing? What kind of game is this? And then you guys, what you guys got to you? You guys got blown out. Got blown out. I remember, and look, this is, I look, Pat Narduzzi's trash a lot of weeks. He very easily could have been trash for the week that he was like, you know, we played North Carolina, and they're, they're just as good as UCF. You said that the week before they played, we played UCF. Again, a Power 5 guy that was arrogant as heck decided to disrespect UCF. And he got, we got the blowers, the, the the doors blown off against them. So, look, this UCF team again, they underwhelmed against Memphis a couple weeks ago. It happens, but that's not. You can't go off of one game. The only team in the country that has dominated every opponent they played this year is Alabama, point blank. Yeah. And you know, if Alabama's the standard now, if you're if you're gonna make the playoffs, you gotta be like Alabama then that wouldn't be fair for every team in the country. So, no, nah, UCF, I'm not saying they deserve a spot in the playoffs. There's a lot of time. A lot of things can happen. But it's also way too early to disqualify them and say they got no shot because look at their schedule. I mean, it's ridiculous. Let's take us home, Kendall. What we got for Kendall's court this week? Yeah, EJ, for Kendall's court, uh, I'm going to preview – uh, not preview the NFL draft, but there's a very we talked about the NFL draft and you know the uh, Raiders and why they may or may not want to uh, invest in a quarterback this offseason. And I mentioned how this NFL draft seems to be uh, weak when it comes to the quarterback position. Well, the top guy in this draft, EJ, at the quarterback position, has long been seen to be Justin Herbert. Uh, he was a guy I, I I kind of identified last year as who I thought would be the top guy in this draft. Yeah. Um, but he apparently is leaning towards staying at Oregon, if you believe Jason Lockenfora. 
who said that basically Herbert, um, the agents around the league, which already sounds shady, but sure. regardless, the agent community uh, is sending strong signals that Justin Herbert is going to stay uh, in Eugene. Uh, one major reason for that is that his brother, who's a tight end prospect, is committed to Oregon and will be there next season. Um, that is a killer if you're the Giants, if you're the Raiders, uh, if you're any team right now in the league, the Redskins that feel like they need a quarterback long term. Um, I don't know what this does for a lot of teams because there are no other quarterbacks in this draft that I look at. And I'm like, I would draft that guy number one. I mean, I don't even know if I would draft Herbert number one, to be honest. But yeah, if you, if you the back was against the wall, we desperately needed a quarterback. I could live with Justin Herbert. I don't know if I can. I'm not drafting Drew Locke, number one. I'm not. I mean, maybe Dwayne Haskins. I mean, are you drafting Kyler Murray? And Kyler Murray, I mean, I don't know if he's an NFL quarterback, but I know for a fact he may not ever play it down in the NFL to begin with. So this is a blow to a lot of those teams, and it may make some of those teams now knowing not only is Tua going to be available next year, but also Justin Herbert might very well be available next year. That makes the 2020 QB draft even more uh, enticing for a lot of teams. Yeah, I, I thought Herbert was the guy right now. Um, so if he's coming back, then, I mean, you mentioned, I mean, the Giants. I mean, that's a killer if he's not in the draft because they could definitely end up the number one pick, and they desperately need a quarterback after what not picking Sam Darnold uh, this year. So, yeah, now, you know, the pickings become slim. Uh, you're not that high on Drew Locke. I got to do more tape work on Drew Locke before I, I make a say. I, I, I'm a, I'm higher on Will Greer than, than other people are. Uh, I think he's a pretty solid prospect, but not a guy I draft number one or number two. Um, Daniel Jones when Duke is getting talk. I mean, it's it's not a great QB draft. So, yeah, this would be a blow if, uh, if he indeed decides to, to go back to school. Um, you sound like a Jet fan. It's like I got my quarterback. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm like, I'm like, I have no worries. <laughs> I don't care about the quarterback. For years, I've been. I, this is all I lived for was like who the quarterbacks were in the draft every single year. You know, I, I can mean pretty much Jesus, pretty much for the last decade. You know, yeah, pretty much since we moved on from Chad Pennington, this has been what I've been all about. And yeah, this is the first year in a, since then. And then, like, I guess the years after we had Sanchez for a little bit, and then uh, Gino for a year, and then we were, it was like, we had a couple of, like, minor, uh, you know, ceasefires, so to speak, where, like, I didn't have to worry about it too much. Then we were right back in the swing in terms of where the quarterbacks were in the draft. So, yeah, I mean, it ain't my concern, but for these other teams, yeah, I, I, th- this was a very weak draft, and Herbert was the only guy that looked the part of a top. 10 guy to me i think greer could be it but besides greer i think herbert to me is the only guy that's a, a true top 10 guy he's not in the draft i don't think that a quarterback's gonna go number one this year that's my bold prediction right now yeah it very may very well be nick bosa who just completely Miami pulled out of school yeah yeah it could be nick bosa it could be an oliver it could very well be a defensive player but I think that's a good place to wrap the show, Kendall. So thank you guys so much for listening in to the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. Be sure to uh, check us out on YouTube, New Generation Media. Make sure you follow us on uh, Facebook, New Generation Media, and on Twitter at New Generation Pod, as well as Instagram at New Generation Podcast. Follow me on Twitter 
at EJ underscore Stewart and on Instagram at Action EJ. That does it for now. We'll be back next week with more sports talk for Kendall. I'm EJ. Peace.